Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sanyin Podcast. Today is a special episode as we're going to talk about the beautiful game that is football. With me, I have an amazing cast of people who know the beautiful game in and out. I have James, I have Mishek, I have Claude, I have Benjamin. So without further ado, I'll ask uh, each of them to introduce themselves. I'll start with Benjamin, who has been here before. Uh, you're welcome back, Benjamin. So, Benjamin, introduce yourself. Thank you very much. Um, it's an honor to be here again. Um, my name is uh, Benjamin Thomas, and, uh, and um, I'm a student in Jandro, American student here in Jandro, and I've been here for the past six years, yeah, so far, and I'm a Sierra Leonean, yeah. And I've been here before, so <laughs> I think that's what that's all i have to say for now yeah <laughs> okay uh claude um okay yeah my name is claude i'm zambian i'm also in china in jenju i'm also a student yeah i've been here four years so glad to be here okay uh mr james oh thank you my name is uh james mwamba jr i'm 21 years old I'm a third year civil engineering student at Jinju University. I'm also in Jinju, China. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and finally, Coach Mishek. <laughs> well, thank you for thank you for, for the opportunity. My name is Mishek Shawa. Well, at least those are the names on my on my details, but you can as well call me Zion. I'm a passionate civil engineering student. I'm Zambian and uh we're hoping to use the knowledge of civil engineering to build a few stadia, you know, for the love of the game. <laughs> I'm also a lover of art, apart from football. And, and I do believe football is also an art. I'm, I'm also a lover of various arts. I'm a writer, a poet, and I, I act if opportunity presents itself. Apart from that, I'm also a Sunday league footballer. But my, my passion for the game is not as good as my footballing abilities. So I think for now, that's all I can say about myself. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, that's nice to know. Um, okay, in in nine days' time, uh, the World Cup is starting in Qatar, and this this is a special World Cup for many reasons. The first one we're having in winter, um, the one in the Arab world, and all the issues that are coming with it, human rights and all that. Um, so I want to ask each of you, what are your views on this World Cup that's happening in Qatar? Um. What do you think about it? I'll start with Benjamin. Uh, first of all, uh, me and the first thing I'll, I'll, I'll say is that if you ask me, it's a strange World Cup though, because this is the first time since we 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 start hearing about the beautiful game. This is the first time we hear that a World Cup is being hosted during the winter season or during the, the Christmas season when it's the festive season for family. You might say, people might say it's a good time because your family is around. You can watch the World Cup together and it's time when, especially in Africa at that time when people are not going to school and everybody's thinking about sitting at home with the family and enjoying. But apart from that, I feel like if, if you look at the, the other perspective of it when it comes with a lot of burdens, especially not for us, the fans, but for the players, the people, because they are humans also. And it comes with a lot of, 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 of um, 
rules and regulation when you have to keep up because of it's an Arab country or it's an Arab world they are hosting the 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 the, the game and it's a lot for player it's for a lot for players especially I'll take it to the player side because for us personally I would say we are just fans. We just want the football because we love the game. But the, the people that are affected mostly are the players that are going, the 11 players or the 26 men that are going to Qatar to play because they are affected more about this thing because you hear they are saying now, no, you should not talk about uh, um, political stuff when you are there. You should not celebrate anything that give identification of a political thing. And so it's for me, I feel like it's a World Cup that is restricted. I don't think it would be a fun World Cup. Like, and I don't feel like it would be something that we want to remember for a long time because World Cup, as we know, is World Cup is time. It's a game that we, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tournament where all the best players go to just show their skills and also be free to express themselves. So I don't feel like this World Cup will be more of an expression where people can express themselves and feel at home. Yeah. Okay, um, I'll ask the next question to Mishek. Um, what's your view on, on, on people trying to use this World Cup to advocate for human rights, uh, gay rights, while they're there? And FIFA is saying people should concentrate on the football. What, what would you say on that? Well, I, I think basically when football, when, when you look at football itself, it's, it's simply a platform where people come together and uh, it's, 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 it's something unifying. It's something very unifying. It's people from all over the world with different views, with uh, different norms, religions, beliefs. They come together and they play one common thing and that thing is called football. So I think it is very wrong when we use football as a platform to advocate for our different beliefs because at the end of the day, they do clash. There are things, there are campaigns. One nation is... Uh, some nations they believe in some things others don't believe in them so if we bring those things to the football pitch it would bring confusion that is why we simply play football that is our only common thing it is the only common thing that we have so if we use football as a platform to advocate for our different beliefs and of which people have different beliefs it is going to bring a lot of confusion and it takes away from the beautiful game i i do believe it takes away the the joy it takes away the main purpose, which is playing football and, and having fun and being together. And it is the only time where our differences are set aside and we focus on one thing. But if we bring our differences to the pitch, I, I think we'll be defeating the whole purpose of football, which is people of different views coming together and simply enjoying. If there is one thing that we have in common, it is football. The other differences, we do not think of them. For these 90 minutes that we're going to have, we should not think of anything else apart from football. So if we use those 90 minutes as a platform for advocating for our own opinions, our own beliefs, I think it would bring a lot of confusion. It would take away from the, from the beautiful game. I think 90 minutes, we have set it aside. Viewers all over the world have set it aside to watch people play football. So I, I, I do believe it is very much wrong if we choose to use it as a, as a platform to advocate for our different opinions. I, I don't think it is right to do so. Okay. Um, Mr. Claude, um, when you look at uh, this World Cup, it's the first in the Arab world. Uh, many would say that it's a chance for football to spread to other parts of the world, the way 
South Africa 2010 was the first in Africa. Do you think mm-hmm. the, the, the negativity surrounding it is justified? To, to be frank, I haven't really focused on the negatives, the neg- negative sides of what's happening around this World Cup. As my, my, my friends here just said, it's more for the love of the game, like the beautiful game. Like, I'm very, I haven't seen a sport around the, in the world that like unifies people the way soccer does. Like everywhere I go, like I'll always find someone or some people just let me just say, oh, like oh, soccer this, soccer that. So for you to bring the negatives into the into this game, I don't really find that sir. Like I don't see the point in doing something negative in this game. Okay, to the most interesting question about the World Cup now. Among you guys here, you're the you are the best when it comes to football analysis that I could get for this show. So I'm going to ask you guys this question. Which country do you think is going to win the World Cup? Of the past three days, they've been releasing squads. And you can see which players are going to, are going to Qatar. So which guys are going to win the World Cup and why? I'll start with James. For this World Cup, I have my favorites as uh, Brazil. I think that's, a, uh, that's an opinion that you shared amongst most people. When I look at the Brazil squad, I think it is the most balanced it has been years. It is the strongest squad that they have. When you look at the attacking talent, my God, no country comes close to it. No country can rival it. I think uh, the, uh, they have the best in the world in most of their positions. I think... Uh, the they have a togetherness they have a certain chemistry that is known to only a few nations when you when you watch brazil play the joy that they share together on the pitch it shows in their football it shows in their football there's a real togetherness and i think according to them they believe that this is their time when the squads were released i went to vinicius jr's instagram he was commenting on um on one of Neymar Jr.'s posts when they released the squads, and Neymar was telling him that this is our time. This is our time. So I think for them, together with the talent that they have, they really believe it in the, amongst themselves that this is their time. And since the 2018 World Cup, when you look at the nations that have been successful in their domestic competitions, Brazil is one of them. They recently won the 2019 Copa America. They reached the 2021 Copa America, which they lost out to Argentina in heartbreaking fashion by uh, uh, one good deficit. So I think that pain, that experience in that final, it takes me back to France when they lost the Euro 2016 and reorganizing themselves to go for that 2018 World Cup, which they eventually won. I think that could have the same level of effect on Brazil. They have the most balanced squad and they have the most hunger. I think them and Argentina are obvious favorites, but this time around, I think Brazil have more. They have that hunger that will eventually push them over the line to get there over these other nations. Okay. 
Mr. Mishek, who's winning for you? I think without a shadow of a doubt, I would say Brazil have the best squad without a shadow of a doubt. But in truth, I do feel that Argentina have got, uh, will have an advantage. In as much as uh, Brazil have got, have got a squad, I feel like Argentina have a team. They have the best chemistry in from the games that I've been watching. I, I, I really do feel Argentina have been playing well. The last time they lost a game was on the 3rd of July in 2019. They won the Copa America against Brazil, which is, I, I think, arguably have the best squad in the world right now. And they did beat them in as much as it is a one-goal deficit. It only also shows that Brazil could not penetrate their defense, meaning Argentina is really good. And honestly, they do have Lionel Messi. We we know what he can do with the ball. And I think looking at the squad that they have right now, they have the best chance they've had since 2014, where Argentina lost in the final. And I think they're going to use that. They're going to use that. Messi is going to use that because he has the hunger and he has the belief in this particular team that they can achieve great things because they've not been able to win an international tournament for years now. And they won the first one in 2021. So I feel like they will use this World Cup to maximize their potential because after this, I don't think they'll be able to compete because Messi will be pro will probably retire from international football. And I, I feel like Argentina right now, they... They, they, they are the best, in my opinion, as a team. But as a squad, I feel Brazil have, have got strength in each and every position. They're the best. But when it comes to team chemistry, I really do feel Argentina will have, will have that edge over every other team. But I do have an eye open for dark horses. In as much as uh, there are teams that are not being spoken of enough, I, I really do feel we will have dark horses. And... I really think Senegal might do something. When when I saw Sadio Mane, Sadio Mane, there was a rumor that he would not be in the squad, but I just saw the squads released for Senegal about an hour ago, and he's in the squad. I don't think they can win the World Cup, but I do feel there will be there will be a strong team. Senegal will be a strong team. Their coach is very good, and I, I feel like they've got they've got the players to push them. But in truth, I think Argentina will win, and I feel we will have dark horses in Senegal. They will they will do well, but. If you ask me who's going to win, I would put my money on Argentina. Wow. I, I sure I'll be waiting for Messi to win it. <laughs> uh, Mr. Benji, you've been a passionate England fan, eh? if I have to remember, from the Euros last year. So is it coming home this time? Bah, uh, the honest truth out there is not coming home, man. After... After yesterday, um, the squad that I saw is not coming home, especially the defensive uh, area for England, it looks for me, it's, it's some of like a biased thing. Some of these players are not even up to like to their very best, especially when you talk about Ali Maguire and then leaving someone that is for, in form like those um, players in, in playing in Italy, like Chris Smalling, Tomori and all these guys over Ali Maguire and, and Cody. I don't feel like it was a, a a balanced England team. I think it was a balanced England team because of previous tournament and and who have proven it before. It's not about their form. The only person I would say in the, in the England squad, like the two people I would say they had their spots, maybe you say Madison and Wilson. But 
like and then Rashford and then but the other people most of them got their place because of they've been they've been succeeding during like big tournament tournament for England. So I for me but I would say I don't think it's terminal except because now when you look at football sometimes you when you look about the stats and when you take stats and squad depth and all this thing you feel like because of that team has the all those players and stuff they win but sometimes this dark horse is like what Mishek was saying like they just slap up and just change the game and things just change in football you'd never know in football so but for me if you ask me who is my favorite to win the world cup like i would say the samba boys because i will not agree i would say i i, I partially agree with what um Mishek was saying because I feel like when you look at the Brazil team, just like our Manchester coach, obviously the intensity is there. You know, they have that intensity. They have that. They have everything that you you could need from a team. Like for the Brazil team that was selected, like they have everything that you need from a team. They have the 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 energy. They're like everything is there for them. The only thing is just for them to just make up because even when you look at the Brazil team, the people that miss the the the, the, the squad, like people that are informed, like those Famino, you see they left them out. You see the guy and the Gabriel for for Arsenal, they left them out. That means the team is like most of the players there that are being called up. All of them are informed, but it was a it's a tight call. That means to tell you that the team has what it takes. So for me, if you ask me, my favorite to win the World Cup, I would say Brazil because I feel like Brazil will go a long way. But notwithstanding, I will not take out Argentina though. But I think Brazil will go far in the World Cup, and mostly I would say they will win it if nothing happens. Like you know, football is football; anything can change. That's why we call it the beautiful game. You can just see things change in just one minute or ninety minutes. If we just think about the ninety minutes, so I think for me, I would say Brazil. Okay, um, Mr. Claude, uh, do you think France will win it again? Um, uh, I, I really have to disagree with that right now. Um, France have really okay. I feel like they've lost Brazil. They really lost Brazil. Uh, um, losing the Euros, all that. Um, I feel like winning the World Cup really made them feel like okay, they're on top of the world. And just go to cars with how to are playing, and you know, I don't know. I don't know what, what lack, what are lacking in that team in all these matches and all that. So France for me out, but in my case, okay, I have got three teams who I believe would do something: Brazil, Argentina, and shockingly Germany. I'm including Germany in this this time. Um, for Brazil. Okay, for Brazil, we've said enough. They've got the passion, they've got the drive, they've got the chemistry. Like, I've, I haven't seen this amount of technicality, composure. I don't know, I don't even have the ways to say all this, but I'm sure you know what I mean. Like, it's like they're being controlled by a controller somewhere. Like, it's like it's, it's, like it's FIFA in short. It's like it's FIFA. Like, ah, I don't know. Brazil. I can't, I don't know what to say about Brazil. I will even say the same for Argentina. They've, they've got, okay, to, you know, as you recently just saw, 2018, 2014, like these were the teams who, which were like knocked out earlier or shockingly. 
So for this world, for this World Cup specifically, I feel they've got more to prove compared to other teams. So I'm going to in this three, Brazil, Argentina, Germany to win, but mostly Brazil. Yeah. Why Germany though? Like with Germany, as I said, remember was it no, no, 2018? They were also knocked up, knocked out, I think, during the group stages, if I recall. Yeah. So like I feel they've got more to prove. There was another thing to prove. Like I want I don't think they want to get knocked out early this time. I think I would see them being probably a semi-final team. At, at a minimum, I think, semi-final team. And by luck, the final team. But yeah, that's why I'm putting German. Okay. Um, in this competition, we have five African countries. We have Senegal, Cameroon, Tunisia, Morocco, and Ghana. Um, an African country, the highest position we've been is the quarterfinal. And uh, when you look at the squad's lists of um, the released by these countries. I think the strongest is Senegal, obviously. Um, I want to ask, which African country do you think will reach maybe the semi-final and go further? I'll start with Benjamin. Looking at the squad depth that Senegal has, I'll go with Senegal, but also I want to look at the Black Star team, the Ghanaian team also, because like they have a lot of players coming in from like from like different countries that just recently naturalized like you look at the anaki williams and, and stuff right so i feel like when it comes to squad depth i would say senegal but there's this thing about the Ghanaian team like if you look there they watch their last game against is it nigeria like there's a difference when they were playing that they have that hunger, you know, it's been long. You know, Ghana is a country that you always like, even if it's not football, they are the people that they are there to always make their name, you know, for them, for you to remember them. Even if they are living, you want to remember them for a long time. And I feel like this time they have a squad that that could be remembered for a long time. Because they're bringing in players that you like that you didn't think that it was possible for them to just come in and play in the Ghanaian team. So I feel like this time they'll be remembered and they they'll go for with Senegal. I'll not just pick one one African team because all when you look at the, the African teams that are there in the World Cup, you can say all of them can they have the the the, the thing to to prove that they are from or like they can represent us well, you understand? Even though we don't have the super egos there anymore, but we have these countries that I mean they can represent us well. But we we just want to say Senegal and Ghana. For me, I would say Senegal and Ghana. I'll not just choose one of them, but I'll say Senegal and Ghana. Okay. Uh Mishek, you said Senegal will be the dark horses. Do you think they'll reach the semi-final? Well, if uh if you had me on gunpoint and asked me to choose an African country, if if an African country is going to reach the, the World Cup semifinals, I, I would choose Senegal. But in truth, I, I don't see that happening so much. And if there was ever a possibility, it would be Senegal. But I don't think the African countries really have, uh, have that chemistry enough to reach a semifinal. I feel there, there are teams that are way stronger some of these european teams and south american teams are they're very very good 
so if 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 I only had a choice to pick one, I would say only Senegal has got a chance. If we look at other teams like uh let's say Ghana, for example, I think historically when you look at teams that win World Cups, they are a bunch of players, a group of players rather, that have been playing together for a considerable period of time. They have to play at least you know two years, three years, and then they get to win the World Cup, or at least half the squad has been playing together, you know, for the sake of chemistry. But when you look at the Ghana, the Ghana national team, it's uh the people that made Ghana qualify to the World Cup are not playing the World Cup. That is a problem that I have with the Ghana national team. They after Ghana qualified, they started calling people from different countries, others started switching countries. You know, we've got the likes of Inyaki Williams and his brother uh Lamti. They switched nationalities after Ghana qualified for the World Cup. So the people that made Ghana qualify are not the people that are going to represent them. And because of that, I feel there will be lack of chemistry. They they have not played with each other long enough for them to be for them to do well in the you know in the World Cup. I, I really do feel Ghana needed to use the very players that made them qualify because they are good enough. They showed it for them to qualify to beat the likes of Nigeria and fifty four other nations. I, I feel they needed to still play the World Cup because they would be the players with the most hunger. But having uh, players who've never played together, even if they're big names, big stars, I, I don't think any competition is ever won or, or players ever do well when random players come together and play football. It has to be, it's it's a team effort. Football has always been and will always be a team effort. So I don't think Ghana is a team right now, but I think it's a team to look forward to in the future. But when you look at Senegal, I feel like they've got enough players that have been playing together for so long and they've got enough leadership in the likes of Sadio Mane, hopefully if he's not injured, because he was injured and he just got into the squad. So hopefully if Sadio Mane is fit, I feel Senegal are are the only team in Africa that can potentially reach a semi-final. Okay, okay. Um, my next question would be, um, who do you think will be your standout player in this tournament? Uh, who do you think will be that player you look back at? He made it in Qatar. Uh, I'll start with James. Who's your player to watch in this tournament? I think the player that will have the biggest impact in this tournament will be will be Neymar Jr. Since I have Brazil as my favorite for the tournament, I think this really is the Neymar Jr. tournament. I think this would be the tournament that would make us put him among us the greatest of all time. I think he will really, really stamp his authority on this tournament. To put himself among us the very best that Brazil has ever produced. I think I'll have him to go down as uh, the player that will have the biggest impact. Um, when I look at the the group that Brazil is in, Brazil is in a bit of a tricky group. Uh, but then I don't know. On paper, it seems to be an easy group. Where they've got Serbia, they've got Switzerland, and they've got Cameroon. I think some of these fixtures are not as easy as some as some people might think. Because uh, Serbia, for example. Serbia top their group, a group containing Portugal in the qualifiers. They top their group, they finish number one. Switzerland, Switzerland's a, Switzerland are a decent side, I think. They they do qualify for most of these 
uh, tournaments for most of these competitions, and Cameroon. For me, Cameroon, I think Cameroon is the best African nation. Contrary, contrary to popular belief, you know, most people might go with Senegal, and rightly so, because, you know, they're the reigning African champions. But judging by that, uh, the previous Af- Africa Cup of Nations, I do not think that Senegal was the best team in that competition. I don't think Senegal will go as far as most are predicting. And had Cameroon been in a different group, I would have had them to go far. But the, being placed in such a group, I think it will make it a little bit tricky for them. So I have um, Neymar, as I said, to be my player to to watch, watch out for. Yeah, but for this one, I think I would like to go a little bit of a different route. I think instead of naming some of these more obvious names, I've written down three players that I would like people to keep an eye out for for this tournament. Three a little bit unknown players, I would say. I don't know. They're n- names that are not household, household names at this time. So I have uh, Yusofa Mukoko as my first player to watch out for this tournament. Um, Yusofa Mukoko is a 17-year-old striker playing for Borussia Dortmund. He's turning 18 just before the tournament kicks off. He has um, six goals and four assists in uh, 13 Bundesliga appearances this time and averages um, 52 minutes per, per game. So this is this is a young boy who who does not see a lot of minutes and despite being so young, has averaged to get six goals and four assists in the equivalent of eight games. So for Mukoko, I think it would be my first name to look out for. And then I have this Australian boy called Garang Kuo. Uh, this boy plays for Coast Mariners in Australia, but recently signed for Newcastle United. He'll be joining Newcastle United in January. Well, this boy is, is a breath of fresh air. I think I first saw him playing against Barcelona at the Camp Nou. There was a, a UNICEF match that was organized, and uh, boy, did he light up the Camp Nou. He's a relatively unknown name. But I think he's one that would, would that can really, really potentially mark, put his mark down in this competition. Despite being so young and lacking senior appearances, because he's never he's never started a senior game for his for his club. Surprisingly, he's had two assists in three games, playing thirty four minutes only. But despite all this, he has been included in the final squad for for Australia. So I think he's he's one that way, that may may be worth looking out for. And then my last. My last name on this list is um, Kauro Mitoma from Brighton. I think for you, Arsenal fans, you guys are very familiar with this name because not so long ago, <laughs> <laughs> not so long ago, he, he put you guys, he put you guys down, he put you guys to the sword. He's a 25-year-old left winger playing for Brighton at Hove Albion. He has two goals and one assist this season. He was recently signed from uh, from Japan from the jail. so he's a very exciting player. And for Japan, for Japan, I have them. I have them as my potential. I don't know if I call them dark horses. I don't think they are that type of team that might, you know, go on to win the competition or anything like that. But I think they would, they would, they would give us a good surprise at this tournament. Yeah. So these these three young players are my players too to watch out for this tournament. Okay, that's an amazing insight. Um, 
Mr. Claude, who are you players to watch in this tournament? Um, okay. Um, I also have Oko as one of my players. Watch out for young but very strong. I've seen some of his highlights. I've watched some of the matches. But it's been, um, I can see now the young man has big future ahead of him. But I also have Bellingham as big game player, as we've seen. He shows up when you least expect it. So I expect some good things from him. Also, Musiala. He's been new more for his Bundesliga side, Bayern Munich. So I expect him, at least, okay, this rivalry between him and Bellingham. I, I see there's some sort of rivalry growing between the two of them. So I feel the, the numbers will be there, especially if by some miracle. Germany and England were to play each other round of 16 or whatever. So, yeah. And lastly, okay, Vinicius Jr. and Neymar, but mostly Neymar. Vinicius, I feel, will be connection with Neymar. Though, okay, they will assist each other a lot. I feel there will be some, okay, some samba, let me just say, between the two of them. I feel the left wing and the center, the center attacking positions, there will be some, Magic, let me just say, brewing amongst those areas. But mostly, I would say Neymar was, although I haven't really heard much of him saying, like, oh, I want to win the Ballon d'Or and this and that, but this World Cup could be something for him to live on, let's just say. Like, ah, you know, I don't know what to say. But yeah, Neymar, Neymar for me. Okay, uh, Benjamin, is Benzema on your list? The Ballon d'Or guy, the winner. I'm Benji. Um, uh, looking at the France squad, but you know, Benzema is someone that you can't rule out because the guy can improve it. If he's a team player, like every coach that I've played with in you say that um, Benzema can make things happen, even if he's not getting the supply because the morph, not just a uh, a box, a box me um, attacker boy is someone that can come in from the deep and find and create something. But I, I'll not put for me, Benzema is not on my list. I, I rather like what these other guys are saying. Like, I rather go with the young lads though, because I feel like the young lads, because in, in as much as we have missed a lot of big names due to injuries for the World Cup, I rather feel like this is a, it's a World Cup for the young guns. Because I feel like young, the young talent will get like most of them will get time to express themselves on the pitch, and I was hoping that I don't know if the Argentina squad is out now, but I was hoping that my boy can make it to the Argentina squad, Ganacho, and I don't know, but for me, I will, for the first person I would say in my in my, in my like the players to watch that I have there is um, Mozilla. Because this, they, if you look at the band squad, like every game, you like every time he's out there, like the when the lineup, the first, I feel like when the coach um, is speaking, the, the first person that comes up in the attacking line is Jamal, and he has proven it over and over again, over even though he has the likes of Sadio Mane and all these people, but every game he is there in the starting lineup and he's making things happen for 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 um um. Bayern Munich and his start this season is so is so good and even like I remember the other day in the interview um, um, um what's the name um this Davis was saying like he, he felt like he was um, Jamal was robbed for the for the Golden Boy Award 
because he knows that the boy will be one day be one of the best in the world. And the boy is proving it, like he's making things happen for his team. And then if you ask me another name, I'll come up in the list for me. When you think about the players to watch, I'll say, I know not everybody will think about that person, but when you look at the Brazil team, I think Rafinha, Rafinha is also another go-to player when I would talk about the World Cup. Because when you look at the Brazil team, he has been making things happen for with assist and for the for, for there. And then I would rather say if he's going to play every minute of the game. I know I'm not an Arsenal fan, but if he's going to play every minute of the game, I'll I'll go with Martinelli. I will pick Martinelli over and over again over Richarlison if they are going to pick a striker for or going to pick someone to represent um, Brazil to score goals. I will say Martinelli. Yeah, those are my three. Okay. Um, we've we've come to the end of the World Cup. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure I pin your predictions on the thing <laughs> so that in December we come and look at them. Um, now we're going to the Premier League. Uh, it's been an interesting season. 13 games in, Arsenal is on top. Um, Liverpool is having problems. Manchester United had a slump, but now they're picking form. Haaland is creating a lot of chaos. Um, Chelsea is there, there. So I want to ask, uh, um, what's your take on the current Premier League season? I'll start with Zay. I think uh, historically, over over the past five years, I think the Premier League eventually plays out in a in a very similar fashion. We're, right now, we've got teams like Newcastle bringing into the top four. I, I I believe across the thirty-eight games that are played, eventually, the big boys will be the big boys, and the <laughs> highest that the small boys can go is maybe break into the top top six at best. But I feel like eventually the the Premier League will, will play out the way it is. So. If if you was to if you were to ask me for a prediction, for example, of how it's going to be, I feel like the traditional top six, maybe one will drop out, but Newcastle might replace them. But I feel as though eventually, you know, the top six would be the top six. The the top four will be the top four. And they can only battle for top four within the top six. So I feel like eventually to play out the way it's supposed to play out. I, I think Arsenal, if you to ask me about who might win, I think Arsenal uh Arsenal have a chance. Arsenal have a chance, but we know what Man City is like. Eventually Man City catches up to you. So my my thoughts on the Premier League as it is right now, I feel we should be more patient. I don't think we can conclude or even an early prediction, I think it would be so wrong if I was to predict who might win. Well, maybe I might, but it it might be a little inaccurate. It might be very very wrong because I feel like Man City the way they the way they play football they they eventually catch up to you. They they don't they can be consistent. In other words, for example, Arsenal is doing fine. Maybe around January they would uh, they will not play so good, but Man City will play the same way they are playing from the start to the last game of the Premier League. So. It's up to a team if they can match those standards. They they don't even look at who's who's ahead of them. They just play consistent football. So my thoughts on this Premier League right now is uh I, I think City will maintain. I think City will maintain and eventually I believe City will win the Premier League because I don't think Arsenal have got the squad depth. 
to continue playing the way they're playing. I think the last two or three games, I don't think Arsenal has been playing so well, but they've been getting the results. Because I, I feel like things like fatigue are stepping in and one of the best players in Martinelli, Saka, going to the World Cup, when when they return, I don't think they would have those legs that they have. They they might resort to using youngsters, maybe other people that have that are well rested. So eventually City have got a more balanced squad. When you look at squad depth, City, they're they're unrivaled. There's no team in the world that have got the squad depth of Manchester City. So I, I feel in as much as Arsenal are on top of the league right now, I think the best they will do is second. That would be my prediction. Second, Man City eventually, they've got the squad depth, they've got the players to do it. They can field in an entire different eleven, and they would win. So I, I feel as though Arsenal needed to buy more players, they needed to reinforce. Maybe in January, if they do buy some players, I don't see that happening. Or maybe one or two, but I don't think they'll buy so many players because I don't think they've got the budget that other teams have, like Manchester City, Manchester United. And we've got issues like Liverpool right now. I don't even think Liverpool will make top four. Top six even would be difficult because I feel already the team is unstable. There's no stability in the Liverpool team. And as we've known over the last uh, the last days, uh, Liverpool is being sold. And I feel that instability in leadership, with the instability that is already in the team, I feel the team would be so unstable. I don't think they will make top four, and I think they will really struggle to make top six. Eventually, I think, you know, it will be Man City, Liverpool, Manchester United, maybe Chelsea and Hotspurs will will battle for that uh, fourth place. But I think eventually the, the Premier League will play out as Man City, you know, topping the league and Arsenal being second and the rest to fight for positions. But as for Liverpool, I don't see them being in the top four. Yeah. Okay. You know, as as an Arsenal fan, I'll keep on believing that maybe we can win it. <laughs> um James, can you just give me your top four? Just try to just predict your top four. If it's possible. Oh. Even if I do think the the table is just taking shape, I think you know it hasn't really settled as as Mishik said. You know, we're still in the in the process of you know settling down. I think for me, at this stage of the season, I don't really look at the table. I start looking at the table more around the game with twenty five. That is when I think it really takes shape. So I really wait until later to the season for me to start, you know, seeing who is where. But I think for this Premier League season, for the top four. I think we'll have a little bit of a surprise. I don't know how much of a surprise it is, but I think Liverpool and Chelsea will not be in the top four. I don't think... I think as of now, when I look at their squads and their form and, you know, uh, even if people come back from the injuries, I don't have them doing much better than they're doing. I don't think they will surprise us even when things settle down, especially for Chelsea. I think for Chelsea, they're in, they're in danger of missing out in the top six overall. I think for my top four, I'll have um, Manchester City winning it. I think that is bad news for you, Arsenal fans, but <laughs> hey, you know, you can, you can ask Liverpool in recent seasons, you can have a 97-point season and still not manage to win the league. So that, that's how competitive it has been in the past couple of seasons. Liverpool fans, 
Liverpool fans can attest. They've, um, they've been complaining for the last couple of seasons. They've had 97-point season, you know, 96. But they still do not manage to win the league. So it shows you the level of competitiveness that Man City, you know, play with. For you to have 97 points, they still not manage to win the league. So I think, I don't think Arsenal have it in them to, to win the league, unfortunately for you guys. I think, although... I would give a lot of credit to, to Mikel Ateta. I think what has done is, is phenomenal. I think he's done a job that very few expected to be able to, to do, including myself. I, I did not see him giving us the level of control that um you know they are playing with right now. I think for me, one of um um the the things that I consider to say a team is great is this control. When I look at uh, you know, the level of control that Arsenal plays with. You know, they're able to control position. They're able to to have a lot of territory against very big sides. You know, any big game these days, you expect Arsenal to have a lot of position. And that is why I also have Newcastle United to finish in my top four. When I look at Newcastle United, I think it is a little different from uh, some of these other teams that have been in the top four. Like, you know, Brentford, they had this uh, last season. They spent the majority of the time in the in the top four, but you could see that eventually these guys would drop out. You know, we had Wolves before them, you know, we had Sheffield United, and uh, this is not new to have one of these smaller teams hold their own against the big boys for majority of the season. But usually, you know, the table does catch up to them. It does catch up to them. But I think Newcastle United, like Arsenal, when they are playing, they are really dominating. And that is a sign of a very good team. And it is not that Newcastle have found this form this season. When you go back from the time Eddie Hall took over, they've been dominant from January. So this is not new. This is you know, not something that has come out of nowhere. It is something that has been building in the background for a while. You know, but people are just starting to take note of them now. You know, most of the games that they've played this season, they are not only winning on paper. But when you look at their expected goals, they are dominating games. You know, they, are, they, they have a lot of dominance. So I think I have Newcastle to be in there in the mix. And I have Manchester United to be in the mix. And I, I think I have Man City as my winners, number one. Arsenal to finish second. United to finish third. Newcastle to finish fourth. I think Arsenal will beat United to second just about because United have got goal scoring problems. I think this is the difference between United and Arsenal now. I, I don't know if Arsenal have been a, a little bit unfortunate with their injury situation because for United, key players like Anthony Martial, Anthony have gotten injured at you know, key points of the season. For Martial, he's undoubtedly United starting number nine. You know, he has a 100% conversion rate with season, shockingly. He has only taken four shots. And he has scored four goals in all, in all competitions, two assists. So for for him, uh, I think he has one of the craziest conversion rates in Europe. That's probably the, the craziest because how do you have a hundred percent conversion rate? That is that is insane. So ha- for United having missed such a key player and having somebody who's unreliable as Masia was as one of the key players who who ultimately lead to the downfall of United. I think that would be the difference between Arsenal and United. If Arsenal can keep all their, all their players fit, 
the clean side second spot. But if United can also find a way of keeping Anton and Marcel fit, I think for, for that second position to go down to the wire. But I think Arsenal, due to their strong starts, will just age United just about. Yeah, so that is Man City number one, Arsenal number two, United number three, Newcastle number four. Let me go down and give the rest of my top six. I think these guys um bad listening for Chelsea and Liverpool fans because Chelsea I think Chelsea fans will be in for a rude awakening this season. I think you know I was I was telling one of my Chelsea friends the other day that for majority of you Chelsea fans you don't live in the real world. I was telling him this because you know they're so used to this uh hiring and sacking of managers under under Abramovich that they've become sort of spoiled I'd say. Some will call it standards but I think it's a little I think you can call it being spoiled because you know, they are, they are already calling for Porter's head, despite <laughs> it being so early into his reign. So I think it would be a bit of uh, an awakening for them, much like the, the season uh, before Antonio Conte took over, that was 1617. Huh? In 1516, uh, you know, they finished 10th, and uh, when Mourinho got sacked halfway through the season, I think they'll have a similar season. And despite Porter being a brilliant manager, I think the unrest from the fan base ultimately lead to to his unfortunate sighting but i would love to see them give him more time because porter is a brilliant young manager i think if they if i to allow him to build the squad in his image and give him the patience that he needs would eventually succeed but i don't think he'll be afforded that patience so chelsea will miss miss out on my top six unfortunately overall liverpool liverpool and tottenham i think will complete the rest of my top six i think liverpool once they get luis diaz back I think they'll be able to string a few results together. Although even for them, they are in danger of missing out of But I think they would have they would have it just about in them to 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 to, to get a European spot. Yeah, that, that's my take on that. Okay, I'll come to Benji. Um, let's talk about United. Um, he started the 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 season with three defeats in a row. You picked up form. You beat you beat Arsenal, you beat Liverpool, hammered Spurs, and then City thrust you six, and then you lost to Aston Villa. Um, then you had dressing room incidents with uh, Ronaldo. Then you had one with Anthony, and now you have Barcelona in the Europa League. So, what's your take on United season so far as a fan? Man. Ah, from a fan point of view, me for me, I would say after a long while, like a long, long while, I don't know, since we have a lot of matches that supposed to be that are on the podcast, like after a long while, I'm like, I'm having that, you know, that, that boldness to wake up because we are in China, to wake up at night and watch Manchester play because in as much as you feel like the team is not there yet, like we are not there yet, like how the building up process, but you see that every game Manchester play there is an improvement. It's the one of the things that I really, really love right now about the team is that is that togetherness, despite the 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 other back of the team going on with Ronaldo, but the other players you see that. They don't even focus on that thing. Like there's that togetherness that the team, everyone is willing to fight for each other. They don't care what's going on behind. That's the thing I feel like 
Elton Hag has built in the team and there's discipline, there's character. Characters are coming up in the team and people can, a single person can lead the team and, and there's character, different characters brought in in a particular time. I think when the um, Ten Hag signed, I think one of the things he saw was that there was no character in the team. There was no, no, there you have those characters in the dressing room you know that people can stand up and take up and lead the team. I think there was no character. And if you look at all the players that he brought in this this window, is that all the people that came in there, all, all of them have characters. Like, you look at Martinez, he just made the defense so 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 built in a way that they they can they, he can is a is a how can say you know he has that he has that Ferdinand type of uh, of speech when he can shout at you no matter what as long as you are doing mistake or you are making mistake like is that vocal point of the defense is there when you look at um, Casimiro you have a midfielder that can talk a midfielder that can see the game a midfielder that can watch and say no something's wrong here because I remember there's this game. Um, you know Manchester like to play from the back, right? And there was this game when David Gea was about to play the game, the break, and then Casemiro from the back was telling, "No, stop!" And you can see the reaction that. And then after that, for a while, you see there's this midfielder, there's someone that can control the 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 the, the play in the pitch. And for the me, for me, I will not concentrate on the Ronaldo thing, and because Ronaldo, whatever Ronaldo is, Ronaldo. Yes, I can't concentrate on Ronaldo right now. The only thing I'm saying, I I I will say right now for my team is that so far this season, for what from what I've seen, I don't know from my own point of view, it has been good and it's a development, and I believe in the development that is taking place in the team, especially not only in the in the football pitch, but even outside. You can even see now Manchester players they come early to the the games, they come in one accord and there's that unity there and that's what you want from your team. Everyone willing to die from each for each other. Even when you look at the game yesterday, they went down twice and then they came back to, they came back again twice up. And then you may see from the last goal celebration, you know that there's this passion to fight for each other. There's this thing that togetherness and that's what we want from the team. And we've not seen that from a long, long while. So when you look at Manchester point of view, I would say there's development come because every day there's this thing that you know that the team is improving, whether in intensity, whether in the pressing, they are improving. The only thing, like James said, is only the goal scoring aspect. That's why we are lacking right now. But I feel it's all down to because we don't have uh, our main strikers, uh, which is Martial, which is the most reliable right now. And I believe that he can is the one that I believe that can score at any time when you give him the ball in the box, whether he can make things happen because. Rashford, I will not say Rashford. I mean, Rashford is it's a goal. He scores goals, but I can't compare Rashford and and Masha when it comes to converting those chances and making things happen. So, I feel like the only thing right now we are lacking right now, that's the goal scoring aspect. But every other thing, they are improving. I will not say they are perfect. They are improving, and that's what you like to see from your team. Every game you watch, you see that there is an improvement taking place. Yeah. So. Where do you think United will finish this season? In the top four? Yeah, I mean, of course, man. If, like what James said, if you look at my, my top four, um, I'll go with Man City. And, and Arsenal, I, like we know, we all know Arsenal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> my niggas going, they are going down soon because, like, they are. if you look at Arsenal team, even, like, I think the first day the game you guys play, you see that 
there is this thing where my guys are getting tired. Except if you guys are going to enforce in general because I'm hearing that you people are checking for people to buy and wingers and all this thing. Except if you guys are going to enforce again. But there's nothing we all know there's nothing. When it comes, I wonder it past December, uh, the boys are done. So, but for me, I will not take them out of the top four, though. I will not take them out of the top four because they still have that team speed. So I would say Man- Manchester City and then Arsenal. But, you know, I'm still, you know, I still have that belief. I don't know what James and Michelle could say, but me, I still have that belief that if Manchester get all our people like fits and the 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 principle that is happening and the building of that is happening right now in Manchester, all our players are fit. Like the main ones like Martial and Anthony, they came they come back from World Cup and they are fit. I feel like Manchester can go all the way with Man City. I don't know. Even though Man City have that edge of Ireland and all, but I feel like if Manchester players, all of them are fit, like all our players are fit to the end of the season, I think we are in towards a, a, a dramatic season to enforce. Because this Manchester team, I, I I don't know. It's something different. For me, it's something different. We have everything right now. Like, except for Alanga, though. But I don't know why James like that boy. But uh, everything in the Manchester team right now is just something of a different because like when you look at the way they press and the way they play, I think the only the when it comes to the pressing game right now, that's the only thing what the coach want from them. They are not doing it that much, but they are improving game after game. So I feel like for me, I would say Manchester Arsenal second or second, Manchester Arsenal for second and third. But I I would say Manchester if everybody's fit, they will be second, and then then Arsenal, and then when it comes to fourth, my team for fourth, I will look at Newcastle. Newcastle, they've been brilliant. They've been brilliant. They've been really ready because they have they have a good defense. They have their goalkeeper is outstanding. And then their midfielders, wow. And the attackers right now, they are all on fire. And so I feel like Newcastle will be fought for me. And then Spurs fit and then I'll go Liverpool. I don't think Chelsea will make it. Because Chelsea they are in that they are like where where Manchester was the last two or four or three years. Where they want everybody, they want to be in the market for everything they see they want. So I feel like they are they are they are their owners are not yet settled with what they want from the team. They are not there's not that organized atmosphere right now in Chelsea. So I will not put them in my in the first six. I think Liverpool will overtake them some way somehow. Okay, and one last question about United. Uh, do you th- should United concentrate on the other competitions such as Europa League and the uh, FA Cup and Carling Cup? My guy, yes, we want to win everything. <laughs> <laughs> we want everything. At least if we can get the Premier League, at least we can get there. I, me, I believe we can't, even if we can't win the Premier League, which is out of reach right now because Man City, they are just. But I feel like Carling Cup and FA Cup, we have a chance to. And even Europa, we, even though we face Barcelona, but I think we still have a chance. Barcelona is not a team that's. Uh, we've seen Barcelona was demolished by Bayern Munich just like that. So I don't feel like Barcelona is that, you know. So I I still we still at least Manchester will go walk away with a silver we are this season. That's what I know. We'll walk away with a silver we are. Whether it's FA Cup, Europa, I think we'll walk away with a silver we are. Okay. 
I'll remind you in May. Um, Lord, uh, let's talk about city. Holland is scoring goals at a rate that no one has ever seen. You know, and City, or City, one of their targets is to win the Champions League. So I want to ask, would Haaland keep up this form and definitely win the Golden Boot by a wide margin? And will City win the Champions League final? What's your view? Um, okay. The addition of Haaland to City squad has been a benefit, you can see. He's doing things at this point of time that really you wouldn't really see in real life as a striker this time. But, okay, I haven't seen Haaland do something that would like, wow. Okay, the hat tricks per game, like, okay, yeah, that's an orthodox. But, like, I mean, we've had this discussion here with James and Smishik. Like, he's not done something that would, like, scare me. Like, okay, you can say, like, like he scores from outside the box, or maybe it is the counter or something, like, Okay, they can go far, yeah, still will go far, but uh, seeing them like really win Champions League, okay, Prem, Prem for sure. I'll agree, like, okay, the Prem is, looks like it's still in City's hands, but Champions League, I believe that's still far fetched. If you got other teams who will okay, that shock them, remember, we still, we still have Bayern, we still have PSG, we still have, okay, PSG. sorry, but that's still for the maybe knocked out in the round of 16. Um, Real Madrid, was, ah, give me a foot right now. Yeah, they can go far in the Champions League, but for them to say, for you to say like, oh, City will win Champions League, I still doubt. Maybe, I wouldn't mind seeing a final of City and Madrid again. Okay, I mean, it's a final, like a final, final of City and Madrid, that would be fun. But saying City will win right now, ah, nah, I'm not, I'm not up for it. Like, I don't agree with that, right? Frame for sure. And let's see. Ballon d'Or? The Ballon d'Or, <laughs> I think the Ballon d'Or won't mostly be his if they win the champion. Like, if he's top goal scorer in maybe every aspect you can see, like Prem, Carabao, um, FA, and Champions League, he may be top scorer or at least one of the top three scorers in each of those of those leagues. I mean, I could see him in the Ballon d'Or. Other than that, yeah, nothing much. But I want to, I want to, I want, I want to take you back last season. Uh, we have Madrid and Man City, and the chances mm -hmm. they missed when they're playing Grealish and Mares. Mm -hmm. If Haaland was in that game, there was a, is a chance. At the rate at which he's scoring now, they would have mm. eliminated Real Madrid and met Liverpool in the final and even beat Liverpool. So okay, yeah. they just think yeah. he's the missing link Guardiola needs to win the Champions League. Because I feel to me they are my favorites to win it. Um okay, yeah, we, we saw from last season Olympia City needed at the time was a proper number nine. And for sure they've got that in Holland right now. But again, I can't throw out the fact of other teams' defenses. We've seen, okay, although Madrid right now, they are form, okay, they are okay, they're doing well, yeah, they're doing well, but I'm not happy with the amount of goals that are conceding per game. 
like if Haaland was there now, like that that match would entirely be different. I would have seen him going to penalties must. And again, let's keep in mind that Haaland isn't the only threat to City. We've got goal scorers in practically every outfield player apart from the defenders. Oh, but even the defenders, Cancelo, Walker, um, uh, Ruben Diaz, and Laporte. All okay, some defenders are good in the air. Haaland's a threat in the air. Um, the brain, the brain is a threat from practically any part of field out of the 18 yard box. In the 18 yard box, the same with Brando Silva. I go miss the same for Rodrigo when he gets the chance, who wants to do it. Uh, for then, every player is a threat. I think just putting, putting Haaland there is like the icing of the cake, so it's really something, but. I'll still say maybe that's because a new player and the chemistry could not fully be developed to that extent. Who knows? But yeah, still far fetched. What is the chance? Okay. Um, thank you for that analysis. Um, okay, now we are coming to the end, and we're just going. To, I'm just going to ask uh, just three questions that the football world is always asking. The first question is um, Messi and Ronaldo, who's better? I'll start with Michel. Let's say to the Messi Ronaldo debate. Well, that that debate is a it's a very long one, really. It is. Okay, just say this is better because of this, and then another person will say. Okay, um, I would say if uh, if we watch football without statistics. If we just watch someone how they play, how how they can, how they simply just play football, every touch they make, uh, I would say, Messi is uh, undoubtedly the best footballer the world has ever known, footballing wise. I, I would say, Messi is the best footballer. But there is a difference between saying that and uh, and who like who is a. Uh, Ronaldo is uh, is different. He might not be the best footballer. Give him the ball, do some do some tricks, or or how we would dribble players. But Ronaldo, I think, is the most effective footballer. If you needed someone to win you a game, you needed Ronaldo. You didn't need Messi. I think Ronaldo is uh, he's not the best footballer, but I would say he's the most effective. So if if the question that you asked, I think the answer, the right answer to that question, I think Messi is the is the best footballer, really. I think he is. Okay. Uh I'll go to Claude. Messi Ronaldo. Ah um ah, honestly, this topic right now I've even become like really frustrated. Um earlier on, okay, at first I would I was a Ronaldo fan. I liked the drive, I liked how hard drinking it was and all that, the work ethic. And then at some point I swapped to Messi because I liked the sheer talent he had. Like he made things seem so easy. Like it's just like drinking water. That's how he made things seem. But ah, I don't know. Okay, if I just go to like this season's performances, I would say Messi has shown that he's worthy of the title. What? Ronaldo, I believe it's been the thing of being dropped. So maybe his confidence levels possibly have reduced. 
But when need be, he shows up. That's the thing. So I'm still going. Okay, I'll go both. Can't really different. Okay. Uh, Benjamin, Messi, Ronaldo. Don't put the fact that Ronaldo played for United. Always playing for United. <laughs> which one is now? <laughs> no, it's which guy in our flag, man. Ah, like, from my opinion, I'll just I'll go with Messi, though. I'll go with Messi. Why I'll go with Messi is not the fact that he's, I'll not say he's better than Ronaldo because Ronaldo has done everything in football that football we need to see in football. Like he has done everything, break every record that's there. And like it's like Ronaldo is the most reliable player ever in the football world that we've seen. Like when you need someone to change a game, when you need someone to make something happen, Ronaldo can do that for you. In as much as Messi, I normally say um, for me I normally say Messi is the kind of thing when it's something that when you say someone is born with it and someone and Ronaldo is someone that work to make it happen. So for me, you ask me, I'll go with Messi because Messi, is it brings the vibe to football, what you say. Ronaldo scored the goals, but Messi is the person that brings the vibe, you know, the football vibe, like people enjoy about their entertainment part of football, even though Ronaldo does that also once in a while. But Messi, every time Messi plays, it's football, like people normally say, sports should be an art, and Messi creates that thing, and makes that thing happen, makes football an art also. But to, okay, another thing, I I will not differentiate those two, because but but we watched these two people for a long, long time since we are kids till now. And these two people have they I don't feel like there will be any there will come a time when other people, two people will pop up again that will make football so nice and so competitive for two people. So for me I'll I'll not differentiate, I'll just say I'll go both because one is making the art and the other one is just making you know that there's something called effectiveness and there's something called hard work that whatever you want to do you can do it and Messi just bring out the arts and teach you that there's football is an arts yeah so I'll go with both of them any day I'll not just pick one because you need both to enjoy football you need both of them to enjoy football okay uh, James are you going for both well, unfortunately, I will, I will not be going for both. I think, you know, having this debate now is a little bit underwhelming. I think, you know, it produces underwhelming results because when you are looking at it, you know, as of now, you know, it's a little bit disrespectful to Messi's form to compare him to, you know, what Ronaldo is doing as of now. You know, and it's crazy to, to even, uh, you know, say those words. It's, it's insane, really. But, you know, when you are you know, judging by their brand, you know, for me, I like to separate this debate. For me, there's the best of all time, and there's the greatest of all time. I think when you're talking of best of all time, I think this is undoubtedly the you know, Messi. When you look at the things that Messi does on the book, nobody else, you know, Messi, Messi is the best passer of the book. Although, you know, people might want to say De Bruyne, but, you know, I don't think De Bruyne is close to you know, when it comes to, you know, creativity. You know, passing the ball, you know, playmaking. You know, it's, it's just that you know, it's, it's it's a little bit. I don't know. People get tired of giving praise to the same players. You know, you can't be calling the same player the best at everything. So for Messi, for me, 
from a pure footballing perspective, I think Messi is undoubtedly the greatest of all time. But we are talking of greatest. For me, greatness is moments. You know, who is able to turn up when it matters the most? You know, when it's down to the wire, your team needs you. You you know, you're one go down the Champions League final. You need to score for your team to equalize. You need to score for your team to win. You need to score a game-winning penalty. For me, that is greatness. Showing up for your team, your team needs you the most. And I think this is where Cristiano Ronaldo has advantage over Messi. So for me, I like to call Messi the best of all time. But I call Cristiano Ronaldo the greatest of all time. Because for me, the sheer greatness that Ronaldo has, I don't think Messi matches up to that. But from a pure uh, footballing perspective, I think that is Lionel yeah. Messi. But I think, you know, for there's one stat that I'm not sure many know, but neither of Messi and Ronaldo has ever scored a goal in the World Cup knockout t- stages. Neither of them has scored a goal past the group stages. Underwhelmingly. So I don't know if this is the year that we see you know, either of them break that duct, but neither of them have scored a World Cup knockout goal. So I hope, you know, uh, this year might be the year both of them uh, break that duct. You know, because things like this, they also add to this debate, you know, because if uh, in this year one of them was to win the World Cup, that would undoubtedly swing the goat conversation in that person's favor. If Messi was to win the World Cup this year, undoubtedly people would call Messi the greatest of all time without a, without a doubt. But if Ronaldo, despite his poor run of form, somehow turn up, as he has shown, you know, to always do, then I, you, you cannot argue against people that say Ronaldo is the best of all time. I think that's my take on that. Okay. Um. The last question. Um. Uh, I think you guys are so in depth with football and formations and all this. So, and maybe one of one one day in the future, some of you guys will be in football, coaching something. So, I want to ask: between defensive and possessive football, we have seen coaches like Mourinho, Antonio Conte using the defensive type of football. People say it's boring, but it has got them results. Then you have the possessive type of football, the Guardiola, Ateta, you know. And it's attractive, but people say it kind of exposes you on the counter. So, between defensive and possessive football, which is your best approach? I'll start with Benjamin. I I think when you look at football now, and I have to take on my opinion, I feel like possessive football is, is it's more to a vibe for me now because. When you look at the, the people that practice defensive technique now, like defensive football nowadays, like even the the the, the Antonio Conte is like it's getting the point where it's weird off. Like because now, if you have a, a team with with skillful players, then they can break that defense at any time. No matter how compact it is, they can break the defense at any time. So I feel like me for me I'll. Me an ogoto for me because I like football to be entertaining. I like football not to just be boring. Everyone sitting at the back waiting for you to come attack them. So I'll go possessive football any day because I feel like when you you possess the ball and attack more and go with a full now you get chances to make all things happen. You get chances to make things happen. But if you rather than sitting waiting to counter 
I don't think that's the best approach to football. Especially, yes, doing the, even more, you know, now you look at his team, Roma, when they play defensive type of they get, they get to a point where they lost because, like, more people are, are more, like, even now so you see some coaches are playing three at the back just to get more. And if you look at the fullbacks nowadays, all of them are attack minded. So I feel like for me, go to, I would just go with possessive football over defensive football. Um, okay, uh, Claude, what's your take on that? Um, okay, for me, also, I will go with possessive. Um, as a reason, I've really grown to love the whole idea of possessing the game, putting the, putting the playing field on your terms. Uh, I've seen it disturb a lot of momentum from other teams, and also, I mean, like, clear yourself of trouble. Like as of, I don't know which one, ah, the match of Arsenal and Chelsea. I love how when the Chelsea team would be in your half and like from attacking, the way you'd be able to just pass the ball out of your half into theirs, into the counter. I love the whole, okay, that's that ball. Like I, I just loved it. Even as of recently, I've now seen United have increased the way they take control of the game. Like, possessive football gives you more options. So, I've asked Grony to allow possessive Okay. Um, let me go to Mishek. Uh, there's there's that criticism with packing the bus and everything, but there's a way to work when you're doing a counter-attack that is very swift. Possessive football. football. Mm. Possessive football. I remember Asen Wenger used to have it, and people are like, how, how do you keep a ball for 60% possession and you lose 4 nil?" <laughs> so there's that, you know, question. In that. So Zayn, what's your take on that? Well, I, I think um, when you look at uh, different managers, uh, for example, let's say Thomas Tuko. At PSG, Tuko never used to play five defenders at the back. He used to play a 4-3-3. And when he went to Chelsea, he started playing with five defenders at the back. What this goes to show you, even when you look at uh, different managers, when, when they move from team to team, you look at the players that you have. And if you feel that these players have got the capabilities of playing, you know, possessive football, because possessive football is highly technical football. The, the, your players have to be highly, highly technical. So when you look at the main anchors, for example, in that Arsenal team, the main anchors of that of that good football, you will find the ball uh, revolves around Odegaard because it's highly technical. So you need such kind of players. And if you do not have the highly technical players, you have to sit back and rethink your strategy the way Thomas Tuchel did. And you will see that despite them playing a back five the way Chelsea was playing, they've been so, so effective at playing, you know, playing the back five, basically playing the back five. And you have to have speedy attackers, very fast attackers, so that you can quickly transition and, you know, give a through ball, you will, you will see, you will see it work, you will see it work. But in comparison, uh, possessive football, defensive football, I would say when you have possession of the ball, you do not work so much. You, you know, possessive football is simply preventing yourself from defending too much. And if you prevent yourself from defending too much, you are conserving energy. Uh, unlike when you're playing defensive football, you will always ra be running 
after the ball. So you will you will be tired. That's why you discover, for example, Mourinho, after a certain number of games, the teams drop off. I think Roma right now, they're looking a little bit shaky because the players get tired. They start getting injured. They start having a lot of problems. But when you play possessive football, you're conserving your energy so you do not have to chase the ball and you are controlling the game. You're most like you're more likely going to, to do better. But there are some games that require managers to play a back five. And if you discover that, for example, you're playing Manchester City, we have uh, Pep Guardiola had never lost three games. Uh, it must be three games in a row uh, against one manager. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did that playing a back five. We, ne we never played, United never played a back five only when they met Man City. And in so doing, he became the only manager to beat Guardiola three times in a row by playing a back, a back five. So it's about the team you're playing. It's, it's a very effective strategy. We've seen Chelsea use it to win the Champions League. It's a very effective uh, only for some time. But if you if, if you were to ask me if I could uh, say we use that strategy over a period of 38 games, Premier League games, I, I think with time, it's going to catch up. Your players are starting are going to start getting injured. You're going to have a lot of problems. So I feel like defensive football can work only for particular games. But in general, I think possessive football is, is far, far better. Okay, uh, James, wind up the show with your opinion on that one. I think for me, when it comes to position-based football and defensive football, I think there's a clear winner here for me. I think it's not it's not even a debate in my books. I think uh, for defensive football, the thing with defensive football is it is not a base for continuous success. I think we have seen a trend recently in... Um, in the top European league, where teams have won the league using defensive football. But just the following season after, come crashing down. I will give you an example of um, Chelsea team. And uh, I'll start from 15-16. Uh, uh, huh? So in uh, the 15-16 season, this is the season where Mourinho got sacked halfway through the season. Sorry, let me, let me take you back a little bit to the... Um, to the 14-15. So when Mourinho went back to Chelsea, you know, Mourinho is your, when you're talking defensive football, Mourinho optimizes defensive football. That is, you know, he, he's, uh, he's the king of defensive football, organization, organized football. Mourinho, in the 2014-2015 season, using defensive football, managed to organize Chelsea and they won the league. They had 87 points that season. The very next season, in 15-16 season, Chelsea came crashing down. Despite winning the league just the season, the season uh, prior, they finished 10th in the 15-16 season. Mourinho was sacked halfway through the season in December, and they replaced him with Antonio Conte. Antonio Conte, also being a defensive master, managed to again win the league. In 1617, the 16-17 season. But then again, following Mourinho's trends, his team finished fifth in the 17-18 season. Defensive football can only take you so far. And I think uh it expo you know, uh the thing with defensive football is you do not only give up position, you give up territory. And when you give up territory, 
you spend so little time in your opponent's box that that results in you scoring a reduced uh, number of goals. And you know, uh, when you're def- defensively compact, when you're defensively solid, scoring goals does not seem to be a problem if you're winning your one news. It is not a problem until it becomes a problem. When it becomes a problem, then you're in real trouble. I'll give you another, another example. United, in the 17-18 season, when Mourinho was hired, United finished second in the league. They had 81 points. But in this season, despite United finishing with 81 points, finishing second, you could clearly see that the football United were playing was not sustainable. Winning one new all the time, you can be, uh, okay, let me not say winning one new. I think it's more about the chances created. You can win one new and underperform your expected goals. But then you can win one new or by small margins while still outperforming your expected goals. And that is a sign of a team that will soon start to struggle to score goals. United were defensively compact in the league this season. But you could see that goal scoring would become a problem. United went from finishing second in this league, in this season, 17-18, to finishing sixth the following season, in the 18-19 season. I'll give you another example of the Diego Simeone uh, Atletico Madrid. I think the only reason why... Um, Simeone has managed to sort of uh, get away with this type of football that he plays. is due to the lack of competition in La Liga. I think there's a clear financial gap in La Liga between the big three and the, the rest of the team. So that has sort of given him leeway to play this type of football. But even now, when you're watching Atletico Madrid, you can see that that defensive football will eventually catch up to them. I think we're beginning to see an error in football where all the teams will be vying for possession. I think that will be the new trend that will, that will, that will come. I think we're, we're seeing from all the new coaches that are coming, from uh, you know, all the new coaches that are coming up. All of them are football-obsessed people. They are possession-obsessed. And I think for, for me, possession, I, I, I'm possession-obsessed myself. I think when you have the ball, you reduce the chance of being scored. It does not only make you you know, uh, dominate uh, territory and position, but it reduces the time your opponent uh, it, it reduces the time your opponent spends on the ball. And if you reduce the time that your opponent spends on the ball, that reduces the chances of conceding goals. You know, they, they say the best method of uh, attack is defense and vice versa. So if you're able to keep the ball away from your opponent, you, you stand a greater chance of you know, not only winning the game, but, you know, preventing goals from going uh, against you as well. So for me, I think it's not even close. I think defensive football, def- defensive football eventually, it will eventually fall. I think that's my take on it. Well, that was a nice analysis of that debate. Um, okay, guys, we have come at the end of the podcast. I think this is our longest podcast ever, which is nice because we're talking about something we're passionate about. Um, thank you guys for coming. It was really an honor hosting you guys. And yeah, from me and the team, it was nice having you guys.